Hello and welcome to the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr., where we highlight the uncommon journeys of bridge builders and peacemakers that are living out their faith in the public square by boldly loving their neighbor and working together to build resilient communities. My name is Josh Tate, and here on the Bold Love Podcast, we want to facilitate conversations and tell stories that will encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Man, season one has been so much fun, and it has been an exciting ride as Pastor Bob has been able to tell stories of his wild path that God put him on, as well as being able to talk to some of his friends that he's met along the way and their take on loving their neighbor and why it's important and how it fits in to their story as well. You know, that's what's been so interesting to interview people from such a wide range of beliefs and faiths and talk about their faith, peacemaking, Jesus, and bold love. You know, we've also landed on the topic of building bridges together and the criticism that comes along the way and how to handle those situations. So our guest today has seen her share of criticism from her own tribe for speaking out against some of the sinful behaviors of leadership, along with pointing to a somewhat hidden or unspoken part of the evangelical culture. So today we are so honored to speak with Beth Moore. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Beth, she is a best-selling Christian author and Bible teacher from just outside of Houston, Texas. She is the founder of Living Proof Ministries, which is a Bible-based organization focused on encouraging women to come to know and love Jesus through the study of Scripture. We get a chance to discuss with Beth her story of how her home was not her safe place growing up the story of her shock when her pastor first asked her to teach at the church, her deep examination of what the scriptures say on women's role in ministry, and how she's dealt with the sharp criticism that she's received from her own tribe. So we're very excited about having Beth on today. For full show notes, links, and details of this episode, make sure to go to bobrobertsjr.com. And here you go. I hope you enjoy this Fantastic episode with Beth Moore and Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. on the Bold Love Podcast. I am ecstatic uh, to get to be here with one of my heroes, Beth Moore. 35 years I've pastored. You cannot pastor uh, an evangelical church and there not be Beth Moore fans, Beth Moore mm. I've read her books. My wife went crazy over your novel you wrote. Saints oh, man. She said, Bob, it was awesome. That makes my day. I love that. Yes. So, so let me ask you this. You, you fascinate me. Here you and likewise, are. likewise, oh, brother. Truly. Strong Bible teacher. Uh, God's used you. You have a national platform. And at the same time, you are deep in the weeds of calling, injustice, sin, all of these things out. What goes into the making of a Beth Moore as a little mm. kid? Oh, this come out. I'm just curious. We were born in the days when if our parents were in church and their lives were soaked in church that, I mean, we got thrown in the nursery within two to three weeks. There was no waiting until the immunities kicked in. Nothing. It was throw those kids in the nursery. Yeah. So I truly was on the cradle roll and, and uh, raised to go numerous times a week. And at the same time, I had a very, very troubled home. And I, I want to be fair, I think that a lot of people that have gone through some of the things that I have could say the same thing. It's not to say that no good things happened in my home. It's certainly not to say that I was not loved. I was. It was to say that in the mix of that, I also was uh, sexually abused. There was also extreme instability in my home. My parents had tremendous problems. There were all sorts of things going on that were very, very different from who we would become on a Sunday. And still, I would not trade that upbringing for anything because church, truly, my, my childhood church 
was my harbor. You know, I, I just am not one of those. I do know that uh, church abuse happens and not seldom, but I, I want to say it was not what happened to me. Uh, my my unsafe place was my home. My safe place was my church. And wow. so I just, I don't know if any of us can explain why we were taken with Jesus, but it from the time I was a little girl, uh, I just found him to be so fascinating. And, you know, I could still see all those watercolor pictures in my mind and all the baby bear chairs and the Sunday school room and all of these things. And I was going through a lot at the time, but somehow God gave me faith to believe that he was very different from everything and everyone else. And uh, so my, my, my walk... <laughs> Oh, God, it has been a mess. Oh, it has been a mess. But I guess that that's one reason why I have had such an active relationship with him. I just needed him so badly. I just, I'm going to tell you, Bob, I would not have made it any other way. So I don't know, listen, the makings of it. I what People will tell me from time to time, I mean, often, Man, I want what you have. I want what you have. I always think, yeah. I hope you get it some other way. <laughs> <laughs> Do not follow my pattern yeah. in what it took because, I mean, it was a process. When you come to trust Jesus, this unseen Savior, more than anyone in the human realm that you could touch with your the palms of your hands and grasp with your fingertips and see with your fleshly eyes. By the time you really can say he is who I trust most in the universe, then that's come with pain yeah. because that means that you've, you've had to work out a lot of things, not working out a lot of disappointments, a lot of disappointments in yourself that you didn't work out for your own self. That your plans for yourself did not go well. And so it's all, it's, if I have anything at all, it is that the God's grace to me was not in vain. That's all I have to say. He is the only reason I am not uh, passed out somewhere in a ditch. I'm convinced that's true. Uh, but some very tough, tough things happened right. as I grew up. And people ask me sometimes, you know, Bob, how do you do this or whatever? But because of the bad things that happened, there were certain skills that I had to learn. It's the truth. And there were certain, listen, I would not, I actually look on that pain and it took me years to do this, but I've been able to say, thank you, God. Me too. Because he, he didn't plan for that to happen. That, that didn't make God He's not evil, but he allowed it to. And here's the beauty of the cross and grace and everything else. It's true. He takes the junk in our life, and man, that's where that's where the real power comes in. Oh, if you don't get bitter, you know, you yeah, get bitter, right. and you forget it. But if you can somehow or another, it's easy to preach the gospel, another to live it. So, what's it like? So we come up in a Baptist background. Yes. And, uh, so the pastor uh, you you had for many years, John Bassanio, got me in a lot of spankings. He play the trumpet. <laughs> And he would bring it over to my dad's house and me and my little brother would slobber over it. And brother Johnny would get upset with us, but I loved him a lot. Oh, I cannot tell you. That's just music to my ears. He, I cannot tell you how man. happy that makes me. He and was. all the crazy stuff I've been involved in every time I'd run into, he'd want to hear about it. He was so encouraging. Oh, um, he was. So, you know, he, he was a different kind of guy. Yes. So here he is. He's affirming me for some of the crazy stuff I do. I'm sure he did the same with you. Yes, I hope he did. he did the same with you with teaching. What is it like being uh, a female teacher? Was that tough growing up in our Southern Baptist context? And I don't know what you are now, but I know as a child that was your your, your yes. That, that that was my stream. That's my tradition. And I, I love that you asked me that because it was one thing in the earlier years and another thing in the later years. I say that because it was the only world I ever knew. I, I truly uh, did not have any insight whatsoever. I hardly ever darkened the door to a different denomination, even. It was the only, only world that I knew. Uh, but what I, I didn't realize, this has come as a real revelation to me in the last, oh goodness, Bob, I'd say even in the last decade. It's taken me that long to figure this out, to look back over the course of my life and to realize 
how strategically God must have placed me in my churches along the way. Now, because I've always been active in whatever church, I was raised in a church all the way until I was uh, 15, that we moved to Houston, got immediately immersed back in a church and, you know, have um, served in, um, in a, a local body of believers my whole life. But so I would say, what, six, seven churches where I've really invested years of my life in whatever I had to give and been extremely active. But I know now, Bob, that God must have been so strategic about the way that he moved me from church to church because I was always very, very uh, encouraged and supported and, you know, was a, was a team player. I've, I've never done it any other way and never been shown it any other way. I don't, you know, being in brother John's church and that's first Baptist Houston. And I was under his tutelage. So he would have been my local shepherd from the time I was in my mid twenties, all the way up until he retired. And, you know, I never knew any other way except that he constantly encouraged, uh, encouraged me, encouraged all of us. The night of his uh, uh, celebration over his uh, many years of ministry at First Baptist, uh, I and a friend of mine had collected every single name of everyone that had ever, that was on record having ever uh, uh, given their life, surrendered their life to some kind of vocational service, some kind of ministry. And at the very end of it, we brought the lights down in the house and we had, with gorgeous music playing, we had every one of those names spoken and a light, a candle was lit for every single one of them. It looked like you were looking at Abraham's sky. It was unbelievable. That's the kind of pastor I had. And I've said so many times when people said, you know, Brother John, let you let me. Brother John called me into his office and said, I want you to uh, speak in a service one night. And I said, Brother John, I was just, <laughs> I was just mystified. I said, I can't, I can't speak in a service. And he said, why not? And I said, Bob, I wish people, I wish we had a way of describing, I mean, he's just, uh, I, what was he about six, three? I mean, just oh, yeah. almost as wide as he was tall, yeah. just like this enormous <laughs> man. And he says to me, why not? And I said, because I'm a woman. And so he calls his secretary, the door's wide open. He calls his secretary, he said, you're not going to believe, did you know that Beth Moore is a woman? And I mean, that, you know, he said, I, I said, well, I have to be under authority. He said, do I not look like an authority to you? And, you know, here's all this poundage. So anyway, it was, this was, this was my beginning. So it really was not, now I knew it was unusual. Let, let, let me say that. I knew it was unusual. And I, he certainly wasn't, there, there was no doubt that, there was a male authority over that church. I mean, there was nobody was was the least bit confused about that. But lots and lots of women uh, surrendered to ministry under his uh, under his uh, pastoring, and were very. I mean, we were all Sunday so, school so teachers, Beth, leaders think about it. This is in the, members. So this is this is I don't know a few decades ago. Think yeah. about. It. I mean, poor John Bassanio. He'd probably be roasted today. Oh. Or encouraging women to go into ministry. Yeah. See, Bob, this is what I try to tell people. And one reason why I'm waving a flag is because I want to say, you know what? We are we are going further and further and further to an extreme. Yeah. And I, I think we're doing it to make absolutely sure we don't move too far to the left. But it, it, you're, we're still leaving the bounds of of sound doctrine, if we leave them to the right, we're leaving them just as surely as we're leaving them if we go to the left. And because there is no way there, you, I'm going to have to stand up. You know, I'm sitting to do this podcast and just Preach. here in a minute, any minute, Preach, I'm going to have to stand up. You <laughs> cannot get to the end of Revelation and conclude that Jesus had no use for women. Yeah. You can't do it to save your life. Even Paul, um, the, under the inspiration, gave us 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, very much in the scriptures. The thing is that we we are taught now, that's all that's in the scripture. I'm talking about from, from my tradition. That's all that, oh no, that's not all that's there. We Yes, we absolutely have to have that open, as well as every other place that he addresses women, every other place that we see Jesus uh, seem to go off the beaten path 
have to make sure that he is showing dignity to women. You can't tell me there was any accident in the fact that he ordained a woman to be the one and women to be the first ones to see him. And then he says to them, go tell the brothers. So we, I don't, I can't, I can't reconcile all of it, but there is no way to get to the end of it and go, there's just nothing for a woman to do uh, outside uh, the home. And listen, I'm for serving in the home. I am very, very called to my home. So, but there's, there's why, just, why, you why can't come to that conclusion. You know, it, it's an odd thing. It's as if you're right. We're going deeper into some kind of yes, weird we are. extremism. Why do you think that's happening to us? Control. I think it's control. I think we have to control the narrative. Somebody told me uh, the other day, and it frustrated me so badly. I've been told this a few times, but this time I was told by um, somebody that <laughs> I really trust. I trust his opinion. And he said, Beth, they're never going, he's talking about this particular camp. They are never going to budge on the woman thing. I said, even though it's right there in scripture, even though you got Acts chapter two, even though we know that whatever Paul meant in, in detail in those passages, that whatever he meant, he also served with women constantly. Even though we have Romans chapter 16, even though we have uh, the, 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 the uh, daughters of Philip, what? All of this? No, no, they're never going to. Why? Because if they let the women issue, if if they give room to it and give any room there whatsoever, then what comes next is going to be the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. So we're we're not going to give any on what is clearly biblical for women because it might be a slippery slope for what is not biblical for marriage. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. And so, you know, I just want to go, I object that you don't get to say, you don't, we're we're not going to give, if we give you an inch, you're, you're going to take a mile. You know what? It's not your inch or your mile. If scripture, if scripture invited women into serve Jesus, why on the ever loving earth, would Jesus waste half the gospel witness on planet Earth by cutting out all women from the gospel um, message? And it's so it's a very frustrating thing to me. But uh, and I don't I want to say again, of course, that gospel is being taught in the home. Well, I don't. That is crucial. I but I think I think what we don't understand, we think if we let things be too loose, uh, then then we'll lose the gospel. Absolutely. The reality is I've seen more people leave the gospel because of rigidity, absolutely and harshness, absolutely and fundamentalism uh, than than I have people who couldn't extend a little mm. grace. It's funny to me. We Baptists say we I'm a Baptist say we believe in grace. But man, we're in the law. And, and I've oh, never, we are. But here's the thing. It's I control. I think it's control, Bob. I do. I you think it's a way of control. Blew me away. I, I think it's control. And I also think it's tribalism. We, yes. we don't really look outside our own tribe. And, and what you said is important. Uh, when I grew up in Lindale, you know, David Wilkerson went to my dad's church. Yes, yes. Leonard Ravenhill. I grew up with all these people. My dad's a cessationist, strong Bible preacher. And I remember he wanted to talk to my dad. And, and dad said, so, Brother Dave, well, why are you here? We figured you'd be down at the Assembly of God Church. He said, I'll teach him what I want him to know about the Holy Spirit. I want them to hear the word of God. So they would respect us. They'd sit in the back of the auditorium. They're waving their hands, getting down. Of course, we all wound up doing that before it was all over. A little bit. <laughs> Not a full rise, a half rise, you know. But 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 I think the beauty is we don't see. So I always understood the Great Commission, but I never understood the world. And when I went out and I saw the world, what difference does it make if I understand the scripture, if I don't understand the people that we're applying it to? Yes. Yes. And uh, this happened to me. This really did. Because I'm of the opinion, biblically, a woman can do anything a man can. Now, hang with me just for a second. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Except being a woman senior pastor. Here's why. Just one of the many reasons why in my years of traveling around the world. So there's this lady. She's dying of a disease. She's a young lady. She's in India. And lo and behold, 
The local Baptist pastor is asked to go pray for her. He didn't even, didn't even believe in divine healing. So he prays for her. God heals her, shocks both of them. And he give, leads her to faith in Christ, gives her a little copy of the New Testament, and she takes it. And she kept writing him, what do I do? People, I've been telling my friends about Jesus. And so, you know, he says, just read him the Bible and pray with him. Gives her just a little outline to do in her house. And she begs him through letters. And finally, he agrees to come. The church takes up a big offering for the bus fare. He gets there. He thought it was three or 30 people. He couldn't figure it out. 30,000 people. I met her. I went to her worship service. And guess what? Now, here's what's interesting. Most of the staff was all male. And the guy who was training all the young pastors, they were men. My point is, and I've met many people like that since then, I think we got to trust God and the Holy Spirit to a lot of this. And uh, I think we get out of trouble when we don't. I just, you know, one of the things that I've thought so much about, because uh, you and I would line up very, very closely on this, uh, because I, and I found this to be so ironic when there was such an explosion about a year and a half ago, I mean, an explosion. I started it and I so regret that I did. I, it was, it was meant to be a joke between a friend and I on, uh, that were just being funny on Twitter. And I said something about speaking on mother's day at my church and she was too. You, you would have thought, I, I can't, even describe, it was like an atomic bomb went off. Listen, by the time you're making me a pulpit stealer, I mean, you're really reaching. (laughs) By the time me speaking on Mother's Day at my church is threatening the rest of your year, I don't even know what to do because I'm going to tell you something, Bob, if we start throwing out, if we have a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most rigid, the most conservative, the hyper-complementarian, I mean, all the way to the top, the furthest uh, degree of adherence to the furthest um, interpretation, the tightest interpretation toward uh, women and men's roles. If we're going, if if you're to 10 and you're going to start throwing out all the eights down. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm not down here. I mean, listen, it would have been easier for me if I had been down here at about a three. I wasn't. I, w- I was. I was conservative in my um, in my interpretation. But listen, when all you've got left is your nines and your tens, you're you're going to fold up. Yeah. Uh, and you might. And the, here's the thing: you might not know you did, uh, but you're gonna you're gonna have the Holy Spirit's got no room. You have got it so down, you've got it so ordered now. I just think that the Lord, when we get to the end of the scriptures, by the time you're you're in my age, Bob, how many times have we read the entire word of God from beginning to end? We have no idea, either one of us. But by the time you get to the end of it, I don't care how many times you have read the thing, you still can't explain all of it. And we've got to know yeah. since since every scripture is inspired by God, then we've got to know that what he didn't tell us was as important to him as what he did tell us. He obviously meant for us to live in tension. He meant for us to. I agree with that. He meant for us to have to walk by the Spirit so that we'd have to, I mean, have angst in prayer about it. Lord, do you want me to do this opportunity or not? Is this something for me or not? Where I just, it's not always real clear to me, but Lord, is this what you want? Um, I just think that we have put, you know, we've done that that thing where if you build a fence around the wall, what have you got but a Pharisee? And uh, so anyway, I don't know how there's any joy over there at all. I do. I don't, I don't see it. I'm sure, I'm sure it's there, but um, I don't see it. And I I don't understand it. I I don't understand it. What do you think is happening to the church? I look at this issue of of women. I look at the politicization of the church. Uh, Our church is a multi-ethnic church. uh, So that makes it challenging, you know, because uh, there's no doubt about it that we have racial issues and African-Americans and other races. Yes. Have, have not been treated properly. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's a lot of fear, uh, guilt and shame. You know, OK, so what do we do about that? How can we do that? We look at the political season and we're viewed more as a, a voting block. I, I don't 
I don't know. It just seems like on many fronts, we're digging ourselves into dead end holes. Yes, we are. Uh, what what we, do you, when you look at all this, are you concerned about it? Oh, every, every day, every day. And my prayer, I, I, my prayer is that there is going to be, and I believe maybe already is underway, even in a conversation we're having of our generation, because Bob, our generation more than any other was raised up on this, uh, this whole um, indoctrination of, uh, of evangelicalism as a political force. So it's so deep. I always think to myself, listen, if I don't know if it's going to budge in our generation, but the fact that it has with us, has to, it begs to differ with that. But I do believe that we can see something different. I, I, I have faith that that Christ is going to uh, unearth from all of this um, this that we have burned down, that he is going to raise up something beautiful. And what it's going to be is is a very simple thing. It is going to be the return to Christ of the scriptures. When, when what is pro-Christian is in this nation is no longer Christ-like, something has gone terribly, yeah. Yeah. terribly wrong. When we are readjusting our Christian ethics to fit our political position, we have just formed a golden calf uh, out of the fire. Yeah. And, you know, I think about that place, um, Bob, in in Exodus 32. Do you remember Moses is up on the mountain and the people down below were like, you know, we, we don't think he's coming back. What are we going to do yeah. now? And so Aaron's like, give me your jewelry, throws it in. As as he would tell Moses later, to out jump the calf and and but it says the most interesting thing that um, he presents them the golden calf and they all go this these are the gods that brought us out of of out, out of slavery and then it says it's the next thing so he builds an altar to the Lord and he says tomorrow we're going to worship the Lord so oh we're going to do it all together Bob all together we got we got our golden calf but we're going to build an altar to the lord in front mm -hmm. of it because man we want to prioritize god mm -hmm. so let's build an altar in front of it maybe it will even hold the uh, the golden calf out of view well i, I just want to say we can see the golden calf <laughs> so can everybody in the world i think only the people that have been building the altar in front of the golden calf think that the rest of us cannot see the golden calf we're looking straight yeah. at it yeah. so it it concerns me terribly it concerns me that we would even have to ask ourselves, Bob, when you, again, are a careful reader of the scriptures and you see the one of the, the huge reasons to study the Old Testament prophets, even though it was speaking to a different people and a different time largely uh, than to us, even though we're under two different covenants, what it does do for us is that it, it causes us to see what brings God great joy and pleasure and what displeases him greatly. And there is no, you look at over and over and over when he brought judgment down on them and he would let them be carried captive. You look and see if the reason over and over again wasn't injustice. It comes up again and again and again. It would be several things. It would be um it would be some it would be sexual perversity and immorality and it would be injustice doing the people wrongly, uh, treating people unfairly. There's just no there's no you you can't get through the gospel of Luke. No. No. You know you, you you just it's you see it you see it um time and time again we 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 have lost touch that the whole point of our christian witness is christ's likeness and of course we never measure up to that of course we cannot remain consistent but that is our pursuit and that's how we know if our witness is effective is christ are the things about him the things he cared about the marginalized that he would that how much he would pick out the person uh in the crowd that was going to be the most uh vulnerable or the most despised that's our savior that's who we're that's the image we're supposed to be conformed into, and it doesn't fit in our our bipartisan 
political world, it doesn't fit in either extreme. Our our, our gospel, there are hints of it in both and none of it has it all. And we have got, listen, we have, we must disciple a people that are able to untangle evangelicalism from republicanism. It has, it bears rotten fruit. And it's so the lost world sees it. Oh, lost world. They see it so clearly. You know what I mean? They, you know, and it 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 makes me sad. When 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 everything came down uh in March with the pandemic uh and with uh you know the the racial uh issues and George Floyd and the economy, I felt like God was shouting to us in silence. Oh, just, I did too. Just, just I mean, honestly, I, I do. And, and you don't have to agree with me, Beth. Listen, my fr- I, my best friends I disagree with, we go back and forth. I enjoy conversation. Mm, me too. I, I look at this point of where we are and I feel like God, I'm more worried about the church than I am America. I feel like oh, me too, Bob. really messed up. And as a result of that, she can't be the salt and light uh, to the country we need to be. And so my desire has been, I, I, I told a bunch of young pastors I work with, I said, shallow is out, guys. People are hungry for God right now, for no, what's I'm with real, you. for I'm depth, with you. for profound. And I, I don't know, I'm at a point where I've just been praying and just saying, God, what are you saying? Because yes. Hey, I'm I'm not perfect. What are my prejudices? What are my wrongs? Absolutely. No, what is, Absolutely. And and I, I I don't know. Do you do you feel that way? Do you feel like oh, this is not judging I us? Do. I, I do. And I think, you know, I, I am just not compelled by gummy Jesus. You know, I'm just not. Uh the the real live gospel is more compelling than anything, than anything we could dream of, uh, of presenting to people. This, this having something of such great uh, meaning and purpose that you would die for it. That's when you know you've got something to live for. This thing that says, this Savior that says, listen, come deny yourself. Come and die and find life in me. Uh, you talk about compelling. I'm with you. That's what that's what I want to get back to. And I'll tell you, um, I think, I think we are going to come to the end of what we can stomach shortly. I truly, truly do. And there will be those that will never know the difference. It will just go on doing what they're doing. But I think that there is such a desire for the real live gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it. I don't have any, there's never been a time in my life that I've had less confidence in the things of the world and more confidence in the gospel. And I think he is calling us home to that. And I think that there is going to be a, a, a mighty move of God. And one of the things that um, I've been so mindful of, Bob, when we look back, I've been I've been reading for the last couple of months, I've been doing some research on the history of Christianity in America, and it is so intriguing. And there are some things I want to read because my point is we are doing the same thing that we have been doing for hundreds of years now. At at what point do we go, this is wrong. This is wrong. And a a lot of people are doing that, but I'm saying at what point does the, when when we are, do you know what it is meant to be evangelicals? When I look at what was meant, what, what, what that really hinged upon, what that meant to us, the veracity of the authority of Scripture, the belief in people being born again into Christ and coming to the things that we have believed in these. I mean, this is this is everything here. And we've let this happen to it. Here is this all the way back, all the way back in um, in our history uh, in America. But listen to this part. And it says and I'm reading out of Thomas Kidd's book, uh, who is an evangelical. 
I cannot mm-hmm. recommend it enough. But he says in uh, 1897, a Georgia newspaper reviled several Atlanta preachers who, and now I'm quoting, seem to have run entirely out of gospel subjects to preach on. Last Sunday, several of them preached against lynching and not once, not one of them preached against black rape. This was a particular um, pastor saying this, the same thing over and over again. All of a sudden, if we preach on um, injustice, if we preach in any way about racism, all of a sudden we're not preaching the gospel. It, it This was as old as 1897. It was as old as 100 years before that, that every single time we really do step on toes. It goes on further to say white fundamentalists were more likely to condemn booze or liberal theology than lynching. Bob? At, at, at what point do we not stare in the face of the insanity of this? I'll tell you something I have felt, and I, I, I say this in pencil. I don't want anybody take this. Doesn't I, I? Don't even think this needs to be in pencil. I just want this out in the air somewhere. But there, there is this concept in the scripture. It's said several different times where God refers to this filling up the measure of our sins. It's a very interesting concept and God alone knows the ins and outs and specifics of all that that entails. But I have wondered, there comes a time when you have to wonder if we are about to fill up the measure like God's gone. I have warned you and warned you and warned you and warned you. You started it this way. I have I have raised up voices over and over again to tell you that this injustice is wrong, that this racism is wrong, that this uh, that that slavery was wrong, that lynching. Are you kidding me? That this heinous, heinous sin. I have said this is wrong over and over again. And it almost seemed to me, Jesus, Jesus says it um, this way in Matthew 23. I want to read a couple of verses to you when he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I'm at verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the uh, the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. Now, I know we're not talking prophets here now, but I I just want to put it into this context for just, just loosely, just for someone to maybe give this a little bit of thought, that we look back on those times. We can watch a movie from that time. We can watch something even as simple as The Help. We can watch Just Mercy, movies like that. We can get to the end of books and we can say, man, I would never want that to have been me. But here we are in our time. Yeah. And we're many of us making exactly the same decisions, standing on exactly that side of the issue instead of for life of the image bearer from the moment of conception to the moment of the grave. And so it's very, um, very yeah, confounding. I want to recommend you a book. It's, it's by one of my favorite authors. He's, he's really good. John Barry. And the name of the book is Roger Williams and the creation of the American soul. And, and let me, let me tell you, People say all the time, well, we did some of that because we didn't know any better. It's not true. It's not true. When John Winthrop came, uh, you know, it was for their religious freedom and practice it here. So did Roger Williams. And it was Roger Williams who said, no, we can't just show up here. We've got to pay for the land from the Indians. And then when they started talking about slavery, Roger Williams said, no, uh, we said this is going to be a different land. We can't do this. There's a lot I could share with you, but I'm not going to go into it. That's not what this podcast is about. But it's fascinating. I'm glad you're doing this on American history because what, what I found was all along the way, people were speaking out and saying no. Yes. No. Yes. And we had, you know, even Jefferson, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, you know, uh, and, and then the Constitution and, you know, how, you know, three fifths of a person, if you're African-American for voting purposes, all of this. But the bottom line, there were people then and there, and they were constantly challenging one another and saying, no, this, this is not right. We're supposed yes. to be different. But it was, the, it was that concept of being created in the image of God and being equal that Roger Williams planted that 
America was supposed to be different. And I agree with you. I think there is this measure. God is saying no. So I'm, I'm not for saying forget Jonathan Edwards. He has nothing good to say to us. But I think it is foolish for us not to say, yeah, and he had slaves and that was yes. wrong. Yes. Whitfield, Whitfield, he's the guy who was against it. Oh, yes. Turns around. Right. He it into Georgia. And by the way, Beth, there were people that were pushing back on him then saying this is not right. Yes. So I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. But the point is, I don't think we know American history. Black history has taught us a lot. And we've been taught Christian history, but we've not been taught that other prophetic side of Christian history, which That's right. leads me into something else. Here's what I learned, Beth. The first 25 years I was at, at the church, I knew what visionary evangelistic leadership was. Here we go, everybody. Great vision. We're going to have fun. You lead one way when you have this objective everybody's pumped about. But I think today we are in dire need of prophetic leadership. Yes. And we don't want to do that because it's going to cost us members. It's going That's to cost right. money. I mean, you find out, frankly, who's into the celebrity stuff and who's not. Because yeah, it, it's, it's obvious. I mean, thank God he raises up people, but let's be honest. John Maxwell and I were talking one time. You really don't need the Holy Spirit to grow a church. Oh, no. Good skills, oh, no. Do it. And so the challenge is doing it God's way. What have you learned? I really gained so much admiration for you the last few years. You haven't even said anything that radical. Mm-mm. And yet people are freaking out. Yep. What is it like to be a prophetic leader? I mean, there's some, you've paid a price. You know, it has been surreal. The whole thing, these last five years have been something that I, that I am continuing to try to sort out in my mind exactly what has happened here. What, but one of the things that has gotten me through is that the things I've spoken out about or what you've heard this teaching before, I know, and I, I hope somebody's listening that this is new to because I just I find it fascinating. Um, this where we're talking about uh, thinly held beliefs and thickly held beliefs, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, and I hold these things that I've spoken out about so thickly. These are not thin beliefs. These are things that in the dead of night that are deep convictions. I've said a number of times, no, I don't know if I'm right about a lot of the details. I don't know if I've stood in exactly the right place. I don't know if what I have said was always on target. What I do know, Bob, is 100 times out of 100, it is what I would have had to say. There are times that you flat out cannot be silent, that something is so, it's so abhorrent and so, so shocking that you have to speak out about it and you have to go, this this something is wrong here. And I will say this, one of the really wonderful parts of aging is that you lose a lot of the need for people to approve of you. You've been through so much with Jesus by this time and so much of, of the popularity. You've already gained and lost so much popularity. You think so little of, uh, of the, whole idea of uh, being liked because it's one day everybody adores you the next day everybody you know abhors you it's just like constant so it was so much of that you've lost your taste for it it's just like it doesn't uh, have the same kind of appeal to you uh, that it once did and you also feel like you're getting very close to when you're going to see the Lord and I, I've told people before I said you know I'm not sure of everything that that I'm write about all of it. What I do know is that I don't want to stand before God having stood on the other side, on the other side of matters of justice. I don't want to, I do not want to have stood by and watched people wronged, regardless of whether they share my faith. 
that they are image bearers of God. And I stood by while they were wronged and that Jesus, the name of Jesus and the Holy Scriptures were exploited as support for that wrongdoing. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. If we're going to say that there is a beautiful thing about having a sanctity of life Sunday, and I believe in it to my bones, I believe we should uh, preach pro-life, then tell me why on earth would it not be, why is it suddenly that we're not preaching the gospel when we speak uh, to uh, uh, against racism? Uh, this, these, these things have to be, they have to be spoken to. And refugees, what is yes. this? Oh. Pro-life, but why is it, we got to protect them in the womb, but there's 81 million little kids. Yeah. That what happens it? then? Why, why do we have to do that? Why so, the moment we breathe air? Yeah. Why, why did our why did our somehow our value go down? I, I don't understand it. We we need consistency. There's consistency um, in the gospel. Here's what I want to ask you: How have you changed in the last few years? Because it's it, it's the same Beth Moore, I'm sure. But we're seeing a different side of Beth Moore. How have you changed? And I would also like to know, how have you changed your perception of things? People, not individuals, but the price that you've paid. I mean, you got to see things a little bit different from what you've been through. You know, um, I I can see when people will go, something's changed. I, I'm There's no way to be part of what I have, you know, seen and experienced in the last four or five years and not be greatly affected by it. But as to whether or not it was for the good or for the bad, that I don't know, because it's like coming out of a, I feel like I came out of a a car crash and then trying to learn to get back up on my feet and walk and uh, walk again and try to figure out how to navigate uh, what's going on in the uh, in the church in in our evangelical end of the church? And for me, it there was a moment when it began. And there were t- I've said so many times um, when people say, "Well, you know, wh- why did you why did you speak up?" Because I have always had political opinions, just like anybody else has. But you know, I could have kept those to myself until suddenly this becomes completely enmeshed with my with the world that my whole life is invested in. And I watch something happen that is so far out of bounds, I cannot even wrap my mind around it. And it began, of course, with the Hollywood Access tapes and with the response to it and all the, uh, suddenly, the contrast between all of our attitudes to all that was said about Bill Clinton, suddenly it's okay. Why? Because, well, we need in the White House. That's why. And it's all the compromise for power. And and suddenly, the dignity of, to me, the dignity of women was at stake. And I'm going to tell you something, Bob, I have spent 40 solid years in women's ministry. There was not a world, I have said this to, to so many women that objected to what I did. There is not a world in which I would not have reacted there is not. I, there is just not. If I saw someone that I felt was robbing um, uh, uh, someone else of some of of something precious, I would every single time go to that. Uh, try to go to that rescue. I try to throw my body in front of it. And so the the initial mind bender for me. I knew there was going to be backlash. I was as calm when I first began, and it's been most times I've spoken out. I felt the same way. Dead calm. Dead calm. No, you know, not not afraid, just very, very, very um, prayerful and very clear headed. I knew I was going to get hit by the men. I knew I was going to because they it was going to be very it was going to seem very, very pointed uh, toward them because that was most of what was you know surrounding the whole um, Trump thing and and rallying around him what i wasn't expecting is the backlash from the women and because uh that i my whole life was wrapped up with them it was it was my my love and protectiveness over them that would make me speak up why do you think that was why do you think the women 
same re- same reason the men did. What? And I, I'm sorry, but this is what was so stunning for to keep to get to be in the White House, to have the power in the White House, and to because of the uh, because the single issue, the one issue, because he was going to hold up our pro life uh, stance, which I'm I'm pro life too. I want the White House to do that, too. But everything else, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. I'll never forget the first uh, conversation when I was asked to apologize to a group or that they, they I was supposed to speak at their church. And they um, they were very upset with me. And it was like, they don't want you to come unless you meet with them. And, you know, they want you to apologize. And I asked him, I'll never forget it, Bob, because I said, but, you know, I mean, after what was said, I said, I just, and they, and they said, well, we don't know what he said. I said, wait, you don't know what the transcript said? No, no, we only, we, we vote only policy. We're not, we are not concerned with anything Donald Trump says. Okay. And, and this is the way this thing went down because it was like, then how can you possibly Understand my reaction to it if you have no idea what was said. And if you have no idea what has been said for the last four and a half years, if you have no idea of the racist rhetoric, of the uh, of the uh, hate speech, of the brutal um, kind of uh, approach in um, in uh, in rhetoric, if you have then how in the world can you understand why someone would object? So anyway, it's been very, very confusing um, on that. Well, I'm going to give you another theory on that. As somebody who works around the world in different cultures, uh, many times in male-dominated cultures, there's a lot of women that that speak out more on behalf of their husbands than on themselves. I think that's I think that's there, right. There is a fear, and there is, you know, I mean, it's just like religions. All religions are not real good at. Uh, Women being in places of leadership. No, that's that's absolutely right. But I'll tell you this, Bob, and this is where the story turns to the good. I got beaten up so badly that I lost my fear of it. It was almost like God helped me form some immunity to it. Like Mm -hmm. I was, I'd gotten it so much that. I didn't fear the same kinds of things anymore. Like the things that I feel strongly about, uh, if people say all sorts of hateful replies to that anymore, it pretty much rolls off my back because I believe it to my bones. I mean, to my bones. So uh, part of it turned out for the good because it was like, you know, once, once you've had the had that beaten out of you, it's like sometimes you have to go through that. Who was it that said you have to go through that um, baptism of of criticism before you can begin to be a little bit immune to people's praise? And uh, so I I found that to be I found that to be true. So it's been very, very freeing, uh, very, uh, very devastating, devastating. You know what's real? Yes. You see people for who they are. Yes. You've had courage to speak up so you can sleep at night. Yes. And so you lost a, a few speaking opportunities and and maybe you lost a lot of money. I don't know. Here's the thing. Beth Moore, you know what's real. And you're walking in truth. And to me, what more could you ask for? I mean, that's what 100%. puts us back in the New Testament. It does. You know, it, it does. And just conviction, just that you can that you can live with yourself when you lay your head on your pillow at night and that you have peace in your own heart. So let me and, ask you this, Beth. There's a lot of people that are listening to this. They're Muslims, they're Jews, they're Buddhists, they're atheists, they're agnostics. Uh, a lot of them aren't Christians, but I love mm-hmm. them. Very oh, yes. Amen. So what would you say to non-Christians that are listening that see the inconsistency among yes. us? Yes. Uh, one of the things that is so important to me to say to somebody that is 
outside the Christian faith and looking at it and thinking what a wreck it is. I just try to say over and over again, please know that Jesus is not a big us. He's not (laughs) just like a big version, the God-sized version of us. He is altogether different than we are. He is altogether trustworthy. We are a very, very poor example of what he is like. And also know that part of the fighting comes from there being people that are objecting and going, this is not this is not the way this goes. This is not the way uh, this looks. Uh, we have to get back to Jesus. But I would just send them, if you want to know what Christianity is really like, uh, read one of the Gospels. Read the Gospel of Luke and watch Jesus on that page. I've said to him so many times in prayer, oh, Bob, I have no idea how many times I've said, just at the end of one of the narratives or a story or one of the parables, I have lifted my chin toward heaven and said, you you were the savior I would have wanted. I was such a mess of a young woman and I have been in such deep uh, places of um, brokenness and sin. And I think of him uh, riding in that sand and asking the other, the, the men, you know, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone when the adulterous woman had been dragged out and was standing before them. And, and it was just, you know, one by one, they just dropped those rocks and, and walked away. And I think that's my savior. That's my Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, he saved my life and he still saves it every day. My goal is to be the best picture of what it means to follow Jesus that my non-Christians friends see. That, that's it. And so I have this imam buddy I'm close to, and he's always telling me, Bob, I am 100% good with Jesus. And I'll say, just that other one little thing. Let's talk about that cross. But, you know, I think to your point, we can't compromise how we live to get what we want. Yeah. And if we do, we're wanting something that God doesn't want. No, it's the truth. Bob, can I tell you one more story before we get off? Because yeah. it has to do with what you just told me about your friend. My older brother, the the sibling I'm closest to in the entire world, one I talk to almost every single day uh, through text or through some kind of audio uh, text. Um, <clears throat> he is a Buddhist. And has been for 30 years. He's in the theater world and it is uh, quite common. He not only was not interested in Christianity because of probably because of the hypocrisy we'd seen growing up. He scorned it. He absolutely scorned it. But the strangest thing happened. Now, he's not received Jesus over these last four years, but he has watched what I've been through. And he's watched what I've spoken out about. And it rang true to him and vivid to him. And it bore witness to him. And what I will tell you, every time now he sees any painting with Christ or any story, here's a song. He'll even listen to some hymns again. He sends them to me and he has opened up dialogue with me again. And the end result, I don't know what it will be. But what I can tell you today is that because of what he's seen in the last four and a half years, and I've told him over and over again, bro, it's not, it's not me. There are, there are plenty of others that have spoken out about the same things, but it meant so much to him and bore such witness to him that he no longer thinks Jesus is a jerk. And, you know, I can't help but think that that is improvement. (laughs) And I think about him when I think about some of the friends and relationships that I've lost among the saved, I think, well, their their salvation was secure anyway. (laughs) They're in Christ. We're going to spend eternity together. We'll just enjoy the heck out of one another uh, when we're around the throne. We're going to have so much fun together. But my brother is still making up his mind about Jesus. And he needed to see that it was that it costs something to say i am i am going to stand with the jesus we see in the scriptures in the gospels and not with this winner jesus 
and this banner Jesus that we're going to fly over all our successes. Uh, No, we're going back to the margins, uh, to the Jesus of the poor and the helpless and the imprisoned and the sick and the dying that we are people who need that Jesus. Beth Moore, this has been a blast. It has been my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. you And just say thank you, Jesus, for you. And uh, it's with great joy I've watched you and, uh, like many others, defended you and been proud of you. (laughs) And so keep rocking, girl. Oh, I do not take that lightly. And I just want you to know something, Bob. It sometimes occurs to me to drop out of the public eye, but never, not for one second. And I know you could say the same thing. Does it ever occur to me not to serve Jesus? Not ever, not for a moment. I'm in with him to the death. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you to uh, Mrs. Beth Moore for joining us today. Just remember, for more information on this podcast, show notes, and any other references that was made during this episode, you can go to bobrobertsjr.com, click podcast, and you can get all your information right there. We appreciate you joining us today. And remember, at the Bold Love Podcast, we want to encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Have a blessed day.